the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special guest in this edition of the program. He's Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. He co-hosts Everyday Relationships and is the president and founder of the Smalley Relationship Center. You can get more information on the web in addition to information about his more than 40 books on the topic at SmalleyMarriage.com. That's SmalleyMarriage.com. Dr. Smalley, just before the break, we were talking about the need to to kind of step back from the conflict instead of just trying to pile through, because that piling through process often means just making a lot of noise, uh, working a lot, very hard to be heard, but not really hearing. Right. Um, and you made mention, I found it fascinating, t- toward the end of the last segment about the Chinese character for hearing that has to do with both open eyes, open ears, and an open heart. So I guess it's kind of pulling back, moving into neutral corners, so to speak, and taking account. It's amazing how many arguments will, will suddenly build up and gain momentum, and that train is heading down the track with, with no brakes, when we take a moment to step back and really ask ourselves the question, what is this all about? We either find out that there's a whole lot to do about nothing or that it's connected to some other hurt or pain that happened in our life that, that might have just been sort of reactivated by something that our spouse did or said. That's right. That's right. And that's why I, I'm, I'm telling people that, that usually it's not that we can't communicate, that we've got to learn some new communication method telling you the problem of why we have a hard time communicating is when your heart closes you've got these buttons that are all stirred up and you're frustrated you're shut down you're now in a reaction mode and that's why the 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 biggest most important step in learning how to communicate through conflict is you dealing with you and you can't do that in the presence of your spouse you really do need to step back and, and that's why I always tell people, when you're sort of in this timeout spot, what you're trying to do is, one, there, there is power in putting a name to how you're feeling. And again, when we're in the middle of a conflict, we're not even able to think about, how am I feeling right now, and put a word to that. And, and yet there's research that was done that showed that when, in the middle of an argument, when people separate and they, and they think through, okay, what is it that I'm feeling right now? I'm feeling you know, devalued, disrespected, uh, uh, not good enough, like a failure. I mean, when you put a word to how you're feeling, it, it physiologically calms you down. It, 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 they see on these, these brain scans to where the, the amygdala, which is your fight-or-flight center, it's kind of the emotional part of your brain, brain is all lit up. When you identify how you feel, the, the brain scans show that, that all of a sudden that information moves to the prefrontal cortexes, which is how, where you make good decisions. Mm. And so even, even the act of simply going, all right, I'm separated now, I'm on my own, what, what, yeah, what, how do I feel? What is, what's the word that I would use? It just it has tremendous power. It's that simple. And then I, I think as Christians, what's so cool is that we take then those emotions to the Lord, and we're asking for His truth. What is true about me? Is it true that I'm a failure? 
Is it true that I'm being disrespected? What's true about my wife? You know, and, and, I, and I love that, that, that so, I think there's so many verses that, that talk about how, 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 you know, God is truth, that he gives us the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will lead us to all truth. You know, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what I, I love. You, when you're then able to do that, you now can come back in and just do what you were born to do, which is you can talk through things with your spouse when you're calmed down and your heart's open. And you know, it's at really the end of that the, simple. And at the end of the day, reopening those lines of communication or sometimes establishing them for the first time, as much as that seems to be uh, particularly intimidating, particularly for us guys that don't do a real good, good job emoting, uh, and we, we, we get very intimidated by this idea in you know, that sense that, well, my wife does all the talking and I do all the listening, things of that sort. You've put together a list of five daily relational moments that I think, Dr. Smalley, really go a long way toward teaching us just how easy it can be to communicate at that level so that the needs are getting met by, by both sides of the, of the couple. Take a moment, if you would, in the, the four, three or four minutes that we have left in our conversation. Just walk us through, if you would, these five daily important relational moments. Absolutely. You know, I, and, and, and why I think these moments are so important is that I think you could, you could kind of boil everything down to doing this. If you want to have a great marriage, you need to, one, learn how to manage conflict well. But then on the other hand, you've got to learn how to invest, proactively invest in your marriage every day. Marriage doesn't have cruise control. You can't set a setting and think it's going to be okay. So as long as you're managing conflict, investing in your marriage, I'm telling you, you're going to have a good marriage. And I think one of the best ways to invest in your marriage, instead of adding all kinds of new things to your already busy plate, you know, because, Greg, I, I see that, that so many people are just we're so busy, exhausted, worn out, too much going on, overflowing plate, that when I tell people, hey, instead of adding, you know, five more things that you need to do now for your marriage, what if we just looked at what's going on every day and take advantage of those, use those everyday moments to strengthen your marriage? For example, every day you're going to leave, leave the house you know, during the work week. How you choose to leave your home can either strengthen your marriage or take away from your marriage. And, and, and what we know is if you take a moment and just, you know, let's say you, you pray for your spouse, you encourage them, and, and, and give each other a kiss goodbye, that right there you have strengthened your marriage. That should take no more than 10 seconds. See, you're not adding something else. You will leave the house. How you choose to leave can, can strengthen your marriage. You're going to return home. You know, you, how you come home and reenter your house in the evening can be used to strengthen your marriage or not. So when I come in, do I beeline for the TV? Do I beeline for the kids? Or do I walk up to my wife and say, hey, great to see you. You know, love you. Give her a kiss. Can't wait to spend time with you tonight. You mean just something that simple? Again, not at you. Don't add anything. You're going to walk into your home. Just walk in, into your home in a way that's going to strengthen your marriage. Every you're going to fall asleep at some point. How you say good night to your spouse can strengthen your marriage. Simply taking thirty seconds to pray for your spouse, to thank him or her for something they did throughout the day that you appreciated. Thanks for. Hey, picking up my dry cleaning today was a big help. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's identifying some key moments. You know, during the day as we're gone, you know, can I not send a quick little text message to my wife? I mean, I've got to be gone. Why not just 
send her a text message and, and just tell her, love you thinking about her. I actually did this the other day and accidentally, I mean, I got into sort of this, this crazy little message to my wife, sent it to my boss <laughs> by mistake. And so he texts me back going, please tell me this was meant for your yeah, wife. I love you thinking about yeah, you. Absolutely. <laughs> and I said, no, it was for you. But uh, that made our meeting awkward. But anyway, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there are moments. You know, for you, the moment might be um, we're, we're taking our kids to their sporting practice. You know, well, can you use that to, to ask each other questions? You can listen to the radio. You can do a bunch of stuff. You can be on the phone. Or we can ask each other. Just some some great questions. Hey, you know what? You know how today go? How are you feeling? How are things going between you and the kids? You know what's one thing God's teaching you as a plate? You see, there there are moments that go on that I think most of us just let these moments go by, and 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 let's take those back and use them as things that can really strengthen our marriage. And of course, the irony is it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a very little minimal amount of effort. It's simply giving a greater sense of importance to our spouse to a sense of honoring them and valuing them. What's the old saying? It's, you know, it's the little things in life that count. Right. And it would be amazing to see how far, and I would just, I want to challenge both the ladies and the men in the audience. Try it. Oh, you don't understand how difficult things are in my marriage right now. Purpose in your heart today to start tomorrow. When you get up in the morning, compliment your spouse. Honey, I'm glad that uh, you're my spouse. I hope you have a great day. Um, speak words of encouragement into their life as, you know, your husband is going off and you know he's got the big meeting today. Say some words of encouragement. Stop at the door for a minute, guys, before you're leaving and saying, honey, I know it takes a lot of time and energy to, to maintain this household. I know you've got a big agenda today. You've got to take the kids to soccer practice and you've got a doctor's appointment. You've got to go shopping and all these things. I just want to let you know, I value you and I recognize and appreciate the hard work that you do in creating such a loving home for us. Wow, how far that will go. And then, as Dr. Smalley points out, look, even the guys, we got time to check the box scores in the middle of the day. Send a quick text. Try not to send it to your boss, though. <laughs> and, and, let, and let your spouse know, thinking of you, babe, I hope you're having a great day. Can't wait to see you tonight. When you arrive back home, pause for a moment. You realize that your spouse, if she's been home all day, uh, maybe young kids in your family, she's been really deprived of any adult communication. She's she's eager to connect with you. You, on the other hand, you've been out in the working world all day long. You don't want another conversation. Find a moment, if you can, between the two of you to just acknowledge each other and each other's needs for a moment. And then, finally, as you end the day, uh, to show a sense of gratitude and appreciation, a moment in prayer together, and if you implement these steps, I think you'll see an amazing turnabout in your marriage relationship. Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. More information, too, on the web at his website, smalleymarriage.com. And, Dr. Smalley, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, Craig, my pleasure. Thanks for all that you're doing to encourage marriage. You bet. Keep up the good work on your end as well. There's Dr. Greg Smalley from Focus on the Family. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. As we continue on today's program, we spend some time focusing on a part of the world that is filled with some of the most mystery and intrigue, particularly for overseas travelers that have ever been there. You know that the sights, the sounds, the noises, the the places certainly capture and tend to cater to absolutely every one of the senses. 
That said, this part of the world also has one of the fastest-growing populations, the fastest-growing economies, and the fastest-growing branches of the church. We're talking, of course, about the continent of India. And joining me today in studio, who is here on behalf of our friends at Mission India, we are so delighted and pleased to have Pastor Sam with us today. And Pastor Sam, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you, Craig. It's my pleasure to be here in your studio today. We hear so much about India in the news these days, sometimes about politics, sometimes about the skirmishes and challenges taking place in some of the neighboring states, places like Kashmir, certainly Pakistan, uh, certainly much in the news to talk about India as kind of the, the other Silicon Valley, the other major computer hub of the world. But aside from the political questions, the economic questions, the growth that's taking place in India today, there's that other big, important part of the story that I think my listeners in particular are really interested in and concerned about, and that is what God is doing in India today. The growth of the church there. Tell us what's happening. Well, Craig, uh, India is a country with a lot of paradoxes. You have extremely rich. There are extremely poor extremely educated, extremely illiterate, extremely religious, extremely forgotten. This dichotomy, you know, goes on and on in every sector. You talk about politics, economics, social structure, and of course, in the church. There are big churches and we praise God for them. But at the same time, in 1.2 billion people in our country today, only 3.7 know the name of Jesus Christ. And the churches in cities, by and large, in every part of the country, you have a big churches which are called the mainline churches, mainline denominations. They're more bogged down with a kind of a, a, a work within the compound walls of the church. And the Great Commission work has not been taken seriously so far. That is one of the main reasons why we are unable to reach the unreached unengaged people groups in our country. There are 4,635 4, different people groups in our country. Out of that, only 1,000 of them are reached today. So when you talk about a composite of what the, the 1040 window looks like, the whole mm-hmm. missions opportunity window for the world today, there's probably no better example of the need in terms of the variety of languages and people groups and physical geographical territory and religions than India today. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if India is a microcosm of the the world missions picture. You're right. Uh, there are people who speak 1,600 different languages and dialects in our country. Wow. And uh, Bible is very closely translated to translated into a hundred languages, not more than that. And there is a great opportunity now today because doors are wide open for the gospel, even though there are persecutions, animosity. You know, there are oppositions, there are kind of state-laid laws of anti-conversion laws and so on and so forth. That's the one side of the story. But the other side, we see... The Spirit of the Lord is speaking, uh, sweeping over the country uh, more vibrantly than ever before. You know, people are seeking for truth. For years of their struggle and efforts for finding who's a real God today, people are trying to 
come to a point okay he is a jesus christ is a real true living god you know pastor sam the scripture tells us about the places in which these seeds can be sown and they can go into rocky soil and really not produce much or sand not much they can also go into fertile soil and then bear forth a strong tree with much good fruit it it, it strikes me given the degree of religiosity we'll call it of, of india uh, Hinduism, of course, the predominant religion there, though mm-hmm. we see a lot of influence of Islam, particularly toward the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it can singular to be said of India, one thing for sure, there's a tremendous spiritual hunger amongst the Indian people, isn't there? There is. Um, if you, I mean, since you made a mention of uh, the Hinduism there, you know, uh, we have uh, 300 million gods and goddesses and a lot of gurus moments, you know. Um, not only Indians, you know, the Indian religiosity attracts even the other country people, you know, coming to India to learn about the culture, religion, and so on and so forth. And uh, Hindus, you know, they are very, very religious. As you rightly said, they have a deep passion to know the truth, deep passion to know God. And uh, in search of that, they go from place to place temple to temple, God after God. But at the end of the day, do they have a hope? Do they have a love? Do they have uh, accomplished what they're uh, seeking for? The answer is no. Mm. So there is a kind of a disappointment, kind of a frustration. You know, um, that... Uh, prevails in in the minds of the people. Well, if you're constantly seeking a God that cannot be found, or constantly trying to appease God, or to not make God angry at you, or jealous, you can readily understand why there's such a tremendous sense of a lack of fulfillment or satisfaction. I, I The contrast in my first trip into India, and in going into a Hindu temple, and seeing the priests there oftentimes wearing robes and with uh, paint on their faces and ringing bells and engaging in incantations and the burning of incense and the lighting of candles and all of this. And I, I was struck by the knowledge that man is working awfully hard to try and appease God and reach God. But there's a stark contrast between that sense of man trying to reach up to God and the message of Jesus Christ. We were talking a bit about this off the air. Elaborate on that point, would you, particularly in terms of how you go about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this unknown God, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. Uh, There is a lot of... uh, um, See, one side we talk about the religiosity and the passion, you know, to know God, reach God, appease God. And the other side... You know, uh, we find what the what the Bible says, what Bible talks about it. You know, um, it's not me going and seeking God. Instead, in the Bible, we find that you know God is seeking the lost. The Bible says He has come to the seek the lost, and um, it's not God demanding from me something. It is me demanding. God, mm. you know, those are the things that, you know, um, uh, are the points where, you know, um, people come in contact with, okay, 
I think here is a God who is seeking for me. The image of the shepherd leaving the 99 leaving sheep the 99 and, you know, to find the one. One, you know, that is something. It's not me giving sacrifice. He has sacrificed for me. It's not me doing bloodshed. It is he who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. So some of these things, you know, and uh, the one important thing, Craig, here, a lot of them, they don't understand how how does this beautiful creation has come into existence because there is no mention of the beginning of the world and there is no mention of the ending of the world. Well, and the belief system is very cyclical in that sense. Mm-hmm. If I have bad karma this time around, maybe next time I'll come back, it'll be better, I'll yeah. be different. And the cycle goes over and over and over again. That sets up a tremendous sense of hopelessness, I would think. You're right. And somehow they wanted to come out of that cycle and they have no way out. And Jesus comes and tells that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is where, you know, the cycle is broken. Mm -hmm. In other words, they are delivered from the cyclic. And now I talk about the beginning and you have an eternal. We'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation. We'll come back to more of our look at what God is doing in India today. Our conversation with Pastor Sam from Mission India continues in just a moment here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. As we pick up the conversation, we can say, okay, I live my life I raise my family, I serve my God who died for me, mm-hmm. and then I go on to a permanent, eternal, and never-ending, not cycle of frustration and hopelessness, but of reward, entering into the temple of all temples You're right. in very heaven itself mm-hmm. with very God himself. I mean, once that message is articulated, it's shared and explained, is it any wonder that that the average Indian, the average Hindu would say, finally, now I see. That actually allows them to think, you know, um, a lot thought of thought process begins, you know, because they'd been doing something for years together mm-hmm. and suddenly, you know, somebody comes and tells that, you know, this is what is available here. And uh, that's what exactly they're looking for, for years together. Where do I get this? internal peace where do I get that nirvana a kind of an Mm -hmm. eternal abode yes you know and you know I come and say you know this is what this is happens with the the life death and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ you talked earlier Pastor Samuel about the idea that there is a sense of some of the the old mainline denominational churches that are kind of Cloistered. They're kind of behind the walls of the compound, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I think there are some strong comparisons with even the church in America. As much as we've traditionally, historically had a passion for moving beyond Judea into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, we're still very self-focused on our programs and the numbers of people in the building project and what's the revenue look like this month and things of this sort. And And yet I'm wondering, clearly the message is going beyond the compound, that there are churches and evangelists and pastors like yourself engaged in a movement of the Holy Spirit, where either because of the efforts or sometimes in spite of the efforts of the church, Mm -hmm. 
the Holy Spirit of God is doing something phenomenal in India today, even with some of the stagnation, as you as you suggest. We are still seeing one of the fastest growing populations of the body of Christ in the continent of India today than anywhere else in the world. What do you attribute that to? Uh, what what does it imply? You know, uh, which means that God is at work. Okay, and uh, secondly, you know, the doors are wide opened, and the Word of God says the harvest is plentiful and labors are few. Now, what we need in in our country today is the laborers who are willing to go, laborers who are willing to work hard in the in in the field of God. Mission India is an organization, you know, had been working in India for almost thirty years now, and um, they have developed a program that would really take. the great commission into the unreached places the end places in our country for last 30 almost 3 decades for example literacy india as you rightly mentioned right in the beginning that you know people talk about silicon valley fully populated with indians you know if you pick 10 Uh, most influential people or the richest people in the world there will be at least two indian names or three indian names there and we praise god for all that but that's not the india you know it's it's a country with a paradoxes 69% of rural indian women cannot read and write their own language wow. and india is supposed to be one of the most illiterate nation in the world as for the survey is concerned so you have extremely intellectual but at the same time there are quite a big number of illiterates that of course makes the mission before the church a bit more challenging in the sense that obviously it complicates discipleship if you lead someone to Christ most naturally now want to teach them more about the Jesus whom they are following what better vehicle but by God's word and yet if they're illiterate that sets up a stumbling block So there's more work that has to be done. There's a bigger challenge perhaps at some levels that the Indian church is facing as contrasted to do a church in the first world, you know, maybe in North America or wherever the case might be. But yet God is still even with all of those barriers doing some phenomenal work there. Phenomenal uh things because uh the, the Indians uh provided we give them the truth in love. Mm-hmm. They're already religious. we don't need to create a kind of a religious attitude in their life they're already religious as you also mentioned you know that soil is actually prepared soil if we can change or exchange rather the religion and the religiosity for relationship mm-hmm. that also helps us to get a glimpse as to why we see such a tremendous sense of passion you're right i've attended indian churches and seen preachers that my goodness just so on fire and full of god's word mm-hmm. we see the sense of the sacrifice that people within the indian church are willing to make the kind of persecution quite frankly mm-hmm. that they are subjected to we know especially in in parts of the north along the border with pakistan and areas where there's a stronger islamic influence mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to hear stories of churches that are literally burned down to the ground pastors that have been kidnapped and and 
beaten and left for death. I mean, these kinds of stories that almost is reflective of the book of Acts early church, that level yeah. of persecution right. taking place in India today. Right, yeah. But alongside it, too, a movement of the Holy Spirit and growth of the church, in spite of the fact that there's not Christian radio, there's not a lot of literacy, things of this sort, many of the the trappings that we think of in the Western world that are necessary for evangelism, Mm -hmm. we see wholly absent from India. And yet, in spite of that, God, by the very power of his Holy Spirit, moving and working amongst his people. So while we see Book of Acts-style persecution going on, we also see Book of Acts-style growth, don't we? Multiplication is happening. Yes. Yeah. Um, In India, like, uh, persecution is the sign of the church growth. Not only in India, I think if you uh, go through the the history, I mean, from the first century till today. Oh, almost anywhere. If you show me a place on planet Earth where the church is being persecuted for its faith, pastors are being arrested, evangelists are being jailed, Almost without exception, I'll show you a place where the church is growing by absolutely unfathomable numbers, but Mm -hmm. not just numerically, but also there's a spiritual depth uh, that is absolutely almost uh, without comparison. Mm -hmm. There's a love and passion for God and his word and a relationship with him. And again, I don't mean to suggest that this is demeaning of Western styles of Christianity, but... If you are a Christian in India, you've counted the cost. You're right. Haven't you? It demands. It demands that there be a price paid. Yes. And yet we know that the rewards are <laughs> in store literally you know, out of this world. Yeah. Uh, and so the church is willing to pay that price. That, that's willing. You know, right now, one of our partners who works with us in the southern part of India um, the last uh, one month, he's receiving a lot of threats from uh, anti-Christian elements. Mm-hmm. And these could be Muslim in origin. They could be Hindu in origin. Yes. They could be anybody, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of an anti-Christian. You know, sure. They don't want to see church existing in that part of uh, um, the uh, country. And uh, they threatened him a number of times, and you know they also gave him ultimatum, saying that you know by so and so time, if you, I mean, uh, clear this place, we will be killing you off. And mm-hmm. you know, for last four, uh, couple of fortnights, he's literally hiding away from those places. Mm-hmm. But his wife gathered strength, courage, and she visited the area, you know, uh, last week just to see how his uh, her church or uh, th- their church members are doing. Are they also threatened? Are they intimidated continuously by these people? So the opposition, threatenings, animosity, prejudice, and all that, you know, are a day-to-day. I mean, like, it's kind of an everyday affair. If you really want to be a good Christian and, you know, uh, uh, magnify Christ through your life. We'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation. We'll come back to more of our look at what God is doing in India today. Our conversation with Pastor Sam from Mission India continues in just a moment here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. 
We mentioned at the start of our conversation today, Pastor Sam, about the phenomenal economic growth that Mm -hmm. India has been experiencing. And and perhaps only second to China are we seeing just spurts of economic growth that are absolutely unfathomable, certainly in comparison to any other part of the world with the current economic challenges globally that we've been seeing since the economic meltdown of 2008. Has this complicated any of the outreach for the church? In other words, are you seeing Western-style materialism coming in that now is complicating the message of the necessity for a relationship with Christ? Um, When uh, 2008, you know, when the financial situation gone into volatile um, situation, like uh, some of the organizations which are exclusively dependent on the Western funding and, you know, things like that. I was told that, you know, they have almost come to a close. There are two different kinds of ministry happens in India. One is a program-oriented. One is a soul-winning-oriented. Anything that is program-oriented, you know, once uh, the fund flow stops, they stop. But soul-winning goes on in. On. And and uh, this may come as no surprise to you, but it's very much the same way here in North America as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And you also find the one that tends to be more program-oriented is much like the seed sown in the rocky soil. It may flourish for a slight season, or you may see what you think is growth that actually turns out to be a weed. And then the minute a test of a life storm comes along, it's quickly washed out to sea and bears forth no fruit at all. And yet the one that is focused on soul winning Mm -hmm. and discipleship and sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting God's word, uh, those are the ministries that not only are planted in fertile soil, they not only survive, but they thrive in the end. You're right. What do you think um, is the biggest challenge facing India today? Um, There are three uh, important issues, actually. Number one is literacy, as I mentioned, you know, that's uh, the greatest need in our country today. You know, um, because of uh, illiteracy, you have uh, poverty. Because of poverty, there is a spiritual darkness prevailing. And they're all interconnected. If the Indian rural women or men are educated or make a shift from illiterates to literates, there is a possibility of a social transformation, spiritual transformation and also economical transformation happening. Women are treated uh, as a substandard human being. Even as we've seen, certainly not all of the caste system disappear, but it certainly has changed very dramatically over the last Uh, few decades. Caste system is still existing in some uh, villages, most of the villages in India. Um, You know, uh, but Again, the education, you know, that's, yeah. But you're still noticing extreme degrees of challenges for women. Women, you know, Mm -hmm. there are uh, a lot of atrocities are happening to them uh, in the name of dowry, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the biggest uh, social evil, you know, 
The government of India has banned a dowry system in 1961. They made a law against it. But even then, despite of all that, you still hear about uh, the dowry deaths almost every day mm. in some part of country. One of the stories that we are mentioning about, you know, um, you know, who has gone through that agony. There are so many people of that, you know, uh, uh, classification. And uh, some of the Indian women cannot really speak out their pain, speak out their agony. Number one, because they are not educated. Number two, they are not earning members. Number three, the cultural barrier is there. And it's interesting, this 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 pull that's going on in Indian society yeah. today then, because you think of the struggle that women are facing, and yet the influence of so much wealth, because largely of the way the world economy has changed, and the, the, the creation of the so-called Silicon Valley of India. Mm-hmm. And then you see the influence of... of, of just pure outright secularism through things like so-called Bollywood. Uh, I've seen some of the films, and I think, you know, with the exception of maybe some of the dresses that are worn in the music, you would think that these productions are coming out of Universal or Paramount (laughs) in Hollywood, California, and not in in New Delhi. So it's interesting the way there's there's a pull for the attention of India in so many ways, and at the same time that we see an increase in wealth, and yet not a major shift yet in terms of opportunities or treatment of respect for women, huge degrees of hunger for spirituality, explosive growth of the church, and yet some aspects of the more mainline denominational church still kind of behind the compound walls. Yes. It's, it's yeah. India today in many respects then economically, spiritually remains this this very mysterious convoluted yeah. gathering of, of comparisons and contractions at so many different levels. It's fascinating. I think this is a high time that, you know, these uh, compound-centered, the mainland denominations has to think beyond the box, come out with more vigor, more passion towards the Great Commission. And uh, when that happens, you know, the emerging churches and, you know, the other um, communities, you know, who, who are involved in a kind of uh, evangelization of the unreached peoples in our country. Um, when that happens, we will be able to see that, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, you know, that Jesus is the true living God. Take a moment, if you would, Pastor Sam, and Share a bit of your passion with our listeners. If you could have the opportunity to have a chance behind the pulpit at a church here in the Bay Area on a Sunday morning to share what you would think would be the the, the biggest issue on your heart, the message that you would like to share with the church in America about the church in India, what would that be? What would what would that passion or concern or observation My passion and my uh, concern uh, as for the Indian church is concerned today is that they need to come back to Great Commission. As you rightly mentioned, I think, a couple of times in your uh, um, deliberations that, you know, uh, the Acts of Apostles has to be repeated. It's repeated, actually. Only thing the mainline church has to realize it. You know, we cannot just keep quiet when things are happening around. 
we cannot be insensitive you know to you know oh, the things that are happening around that becomes foolishness and when we become uh, uh when we are able to realize the prompting voice of the holy spirit that this is the time god is at work in india i think we have to move forward because there may be a day when the doors will be closed mm-hmm. there may be a day when things will get much harder but now they are wide opened and people are responding more uh rapidly than ever before and the church of god back in india mainly the the denominational churches had to realize that this is not the compound that we think about now it's beyond that there is ultimately a message here for the church in america too as pastor sam articulates there is a window of opportunity right now where there is a tremendous sense of of hunger and desire and openness to the gospel even as we see the push of materialism bearing down upon India in in so many ways yet utter degrees of poverty at the same time and yet the biggest challenge that India faces is no different than the challenge we face here in America or anywhere on planet earth and that is a poverty of the heart and a poverty of the soul the, the malnutrition that we experience because we do not know him we do not serve him or if we know him we serve him only within the confines the confines of the compound and i think as pastor sam is suggesting it's time to throw open wide the door and understand the need to respond to opportunities to share the gospel and to stand shoulder to shoulder with the church in India just as we've stood shoulder to shoulder with each other inside the compound to now do that outside the compound yeah. to to engage in that appreciation for what it means to not just to have a heartbeat and a passion for Judea but then understand that the great commission didn't end there it began there as we are then mandated to move from Judea to Samaria and to India and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you'd like to find out more information about the work of Pastor Sam and the amazing things that God is doing throughout the entire continent of India, let me direct you toward Mission India's website. It's an easy one to remember. That's missionindia.org, missionindia.org. If something you've heard in today's conversation with Pastor Sam has really touched your heart, and you'd like to see and explore ways in which you and or your church congregation can stand shoulder to shoulder with people like Pastor Sam and the work that God is doing in the continent of India today, why don't you consider reaching out to Mission India? They've got a speakers bureau that could happily provide someone to come to your church and share more of not just the amazing things that God is doing in India today, but the amazing opportunity that the Lord and responsibility places before us today to be engaged in, again, sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, it isn't how hard we work to try to reach up to God. It's the understanding that God came down that will change the world. 
More information again on the web at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. And Pastor Sam, we so much appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your travel schedule to be with us here. Welcome again to America. And we're going to be praying for you and your ministry there. Uh, Godspeed and keep up the good work. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.